0: It's June 18th, 2020. This is Rook. When we talk about storytelling by Iranians that resonates in the diaspora, we're often referring to the familiar phrases of classic poets, or the trademark dark neo realist cinema, or funny fare from contemporary LA based comedians. So it's notable when a new TV series gets made in Iran that is an epic love story, rich in symbolism, commentary, modern vibrance, and the series becomes a massive hit not only inside Iran, but around the world, dubbed into different languages. Our guest today is the co-writer of Shahzad. She's also an award-winning playwright, filmmaker, author, and commentator. This is Conversations From, To, and About the Iranian Diaspora. This is Rook. All right, welcome to episode number 19 of Rook, almost 20 episodes. Uh, this is our big Thursday show, so the, uh, the Rook posse is here with me. Uh, what's the Farsi word for posse, for gang? Rofarro. Rofarro. Raffi- well, that's friends, right?
1: Mm. Equipe. <laughs> Equipe, <laughs> Equipe, oh, Equipe. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that no, that's a Persian. That's French, that's team. Yeah. That's like
0: a team. Equipe, yeah. So basically, we don't have a word for a posse. There no. must be a word for gang. Yeah.
2: Don't ask me. I have no <laughs> yeah. idea. All right.
0: All right, we're off to a great start, episode 19. It's <laughs> <laughs> a wrap up right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, yeah. This is so far, one minute of not knowing what something is. And oh, boy. Uh, Captain Reza, nice to see you, how are you?
3: I'm great, I'm great, Mr. Jian.
0: Thank you. Uh, Groovy Shaya? Uh,
1: hello, I'm great, thank you.
0: By the way, Groovy Shaya, I know you are aware of our guests today, Nagme Samini is coming on today. Incredible playwright, uh, author, and the co-writer, as I was saying in the intro there, of, of that series, Shahzad, uh, which is, uh, I think it's my mom's favorite Persian series ever. Mm. And then, uh, r- r- and it's not just my yes. mom and her generation. There's many people who around the world who just love this series, myself as well. But you know what she told me this morning, uh, my mom? Because I told her that. Uh, uh, no, I'm Miss, really I'm,
1: curious to hear that.
0: She said that zod I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she said it was the first Persian series she's watched, like uh, a TV series out of Iran uh-huh. for decades.
1: Wow. you know i mean
0: my my parents left actually obviously,
1: actually that's true because i I've, I've heard that comment about charizard from many different persons from many different ages and different cultures yeah. that they say that shahzad uh, they they watch charizard, it's the only persian tv series she that.
0: loved it for it was three mm. seasons from uh uh, 2016 I think it started to 2018 uh, and it was just uh, uh, 59 episodes and, and my mom devoured it because you can watch it on YouTube in the diaspora and it's all in, it's been dubbed into all kinds of languages too we'll get to this with uh, Nakme Samini but uh, are you, you a fan uh, Reza of uh, Shaza?
3: I've heard of it I know of it uh, wow. what I'm most wow. <laughs> I haven't seen it haven't you're supposed to be no, the
0: film guy the actor the know. you know
3: I know the guru, the Shame. film guru. Yeah. And I, no, I know of it. I know of it. My my family is a huge fan. But it, you know what's interesting to me about Sharzad? I think it's one of the a few Iranian series TV shows that has gone past one season, because like they don't do seasonal shows like. Um, hmm. Uh, serialized shows in Iran—they do like um, uh, several episodes of a show, and that's it. That's the end of that. But this has like th- three, three seasons, I right? Three uh, years in a row. What you're saying
0: is very interesting, but I don't know if I can trust you because you haven't even watched Shahzad. You should. You <laughs> and everybody who's uh, listening. You are me. Captain Reza. so that's that's authority. I would <laughs> I would right. think I can trust you. And Keon, hi. Hi. How are you?
2: I'm good.
0: How has your week been?
2: Uh, it's been good. I'm just trying to get back into shape. That's my. That's,
0: that's my your goal. Goal
2: for. The next few weeks. You
0: seem like you're in shape. Did you fall out of shape?
2: Uh, well, the quarantine 15 has hit me pretty hard. <laughs> I think for the first month and a half, I was just cooking like a mad woman. That's all I knew to do. And then I just regretted it immediately. <laughs> I was doing a lot of French cooking, and oh. the main ingredient in French cooking is butter. So. The,
0: the quarantine 15?
2: Yes, that's what I call it. Oh, you know, is that? Like did the you coin that? 15, I the love it. So what does that mean? 15 pounds? Yeah. The uh, give or take. <laughs> no, let's, let's say 10. Um,
0: All right. Listen, on the Monday episode of Rook coming up, I want to announce this, this the next episode. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a legend of, of sport in the Iranian diaspora. Uh, I know Shia and Sara know who we've booked, but I, I want to see if you guys, Keon, if I say... Mansour Bahrami.
2: <laughs> I've seen his videos. Oh, you do man. know? He's okay, I, I was Listen, gonna. I was I, thinking
0: you're not gonna know. I, I, I who played is.
2: tennis growing up, okay. so I, I knew right, right. of him. Yeah, and he's, so
0: tell. Do you, what do you know about Mansour Bahrami? He's
2: just he, He's a showmanship. He has great showmanship. He's like, as soon as he hits the court, you know you're gonna expect to laugh. That's right. He's the just,
0: tennis legend Mansour Bahrami, who's also the great entertainer. He's called Reza. You, Captain Reza, you probably know who huge he is, right? Fan of his. You're a uh, huge fan. Oh, I've, yeah. I've
3: been. I've been following his. Uh, uh, I've been watching his videos for ages now. But, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. I can be in the saddest, most grumpiest mood ever, watch one of his videos, and just, I crack a smile, exactly. I start laughing. He's his amazing. And he's a tennis player as an athlete.
0: He's, He's an incredible, incredible tennis player. Incredible. He is in his sixties now and still, yeah. you know, plays the doubles. I mean, on the senior circuit uh, mm. uh, at Wimbledon, etc. Um, I'm thrilled about this. We're yeah. going to have a feature interview with uh, Mansour Bahrami coming up on Monday. You know, the story is is a tragic one. I mean, he is so um, ebullient and fun to watch and everything that you 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 can't you you forget that this guy was. Basically, he was the number one tennis player in Iran. And the revolution hits in 1979. And, you know, the edict comes out that tennis is a Western capitalist um, sport and no one's allowed to play it anymore. And he basically spends the next 10 years. He goes to France and tries to play there. Can't get French nationality. Basically, the next 10 years doesn't play tennis. Can't can't get on the court in any sort of professional way. Um, His prime. His, wow. his from from wow. when he's I think twenty three to thirty three years old, wow. so when he I think it was nineteen eighty nine when he gets back on the circuit, and uh, goes to the finals of the French Open in doubles, wow. uh, he's already kind of past his prime, you know. So I mean, Tragic. we we talk a lot of in cultural terms about musicians or artists mm-hmm. or or poets or whatever people who. Uh, or, or all kinds of people who had their careers kind of halted, and the story halts halted at when the revolution hits. This is a different uh, version of that, uh, another side of that as well. Where in sport, where this guy, you know, you will never know yeah. if he had those ten years, whether he could have been uh, a McEnroe, a Connors, a Sampras himself. I mean, he's still great, and he's still so entertaining, and he's got this incredible story to tell. And I hope he'll he will. Tell it uh, with us on on Monday, but uh, um, it's a it's a, a as with so many in the Iranian diaspora, there's this undertone of yeah. such complexity about uh, where he's ended up. Shia, you, I know you know he's coming on, and you're a yes. you're a fan as well. Yes, yes, so, yes, yes. all right. So that's on uh, our next episode of, of Rook, Mansour Bahrami. So, uh, Keon, you're going to be back in a little while with yes. the Letters of the Week. Sure. Uh, Captain Reza, Shai, you're sticking around to, to uh, as we, uh, let tease me do us. the- to, uh, to what? To tease us. To tease us, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let's get to the introduction of our special guest today. According to the, the fabled tale of the, of the 1,001 Nights, many years ago an Arab monarch learned of his wife's infidelity. And in a psychotic act of vengeance, he resolved to marry a new virgin each day and have his bride executed the next dawn. The murderous pattern continues until he marries the daughter of his Persian minister. Her name is Shahzad. Shahrazad captivates her genocidal husband with a story that she tells that goes on for 1,001 nights, causing the king to allow her a stay of execution in order to finish her story. And her powerful storytelling continues until the king eventually falls in love with her. Well, my guest today is perhaps the closest we get to a modern-day Shahzad as a master storyteller. Nagme Samini earned her PhD in theater and mythology in Iran and taught drama history and playwriting at the University of Tehran for 12 years. More than 20 of her plays have been staged in Iran, France, India, Canada, and the United States and other countries. Her screenplays include Sweet Taste of Imagination, Blood Game, and Three Women. Some of her awards and achievements include Best Iranian Playwright in 2014, Book of the Year in Iran for Myths, Theater, and Archetypal Approach to Iranian Dramatic Literature, that was in 2009, Best Screenwriter at the International Fajd Film Festival in 2007, Best Playwright in the City of Tehran in 2005, plus Best Playwright at the International Fajd Theater Festival from the years 2001 to 2004, and her play The Legend of the King and Mathematician was selected by UNESCO to be one of its yearly books in 2012 and besides all of this of course as if that wasn't enough she was also the co-writer of the exceptionally popular and riveting Iranian TV series Sharzad that ran for three seasons from 2015 to 2018. Dr. Samini is currently a visiting scholar at the University of Washington School of Persian Studies and Nagmeh Samini joins me from Seattle Washington right now hello
4: Hello. So nice to talk to you.
0: What a pleasure it is to have you on the program and to read all of your awards, which uh, <laughs> takes <laughs> takes quite a while. Um, thank you for doing this. First of all, how is it going over there in Seattle? These are strange days between pandemic and protests. Are you currently in the autonomous zone?
4: Uh, no, actually, I'm not in autonomous zone. Uh, it's part of the um, downtown of Seattle and i think what you can find in the news is very different from what really happened in the city so yeah everything is fine and people are so calm and just try to make governors listen to their protest which yes. i think is very very right
0: yes you you have a thriving career, as I've just outlined in the introduction, as a playwright, a screenwriter, and a professor in Iran, in Tehran. So on the heels of that massive success of Shahzad, why would you choose to come to the United States?
4: Uh, that's a very, very good question, but the answer is very, very complicated. <laughs> Actually, it's just um, 11 months I left country and I came to United States. But um, I mean, about one year ago, I really felt that I need to be in a new air and to have uh, something very different in my life. So, you know, when you, when you achieve a success like what we achieved uh, in Shahzad, afterward working is much more difficult than before because the expectations of you is much more than before. So I really, really felt that I, need to live in different era, different atmosphere, and gain more and start something very new, which I, I mean, you may have heard about the company I founded here called Seda, which is a theater company. I think that was the main uh, and the most important reason that I left the country and I um, decided to stay here in United States.
0: You know, that's counterintuitive. The idea that you have this hit show and it makes it more difficult for you to work. it would You would think that this is what you've always been waiting for, it's gonna open all the doors, you get to do whatever you want, you'll get financing for whatever you want. Um, would that not be the case?
4: No, not at all. No, no, not at all. This is just a dream, but <laughs> well, that's not true. I mean, after Shahzad, I received uh, so many, so many offers for writing um, series, but none of them could really satisfy me to start a new project. So many of those offers just asked me to copy Shahzad again, which right. I really didn't want to do. Mm. I, I needed something new. I, I wanted to do something very new, not, not exactly a copy of Shahzad. And uh, for some reasons, um, some um, scripts that in normal time could be offered to me uh, I mean the directors and the mm, I mean investors uh producers they didn't offer me those kinds of um, scripts because they thought that I am a person I am a writer who can fit in historical dramas and not for example realistic ones so I think I can say that after Shahzad the situation for me as a script writer became more difficult than before.
0: I want to let me come back to that. I'm going to come back to Shahzad and your and the content of your creativity. But um, uh, let me ask you a few more questions about the experience of coming here. Uh, here being the West, um, into the diaspora after having this um, prolific and and uh, popular uh, career in in Iran. You are Nahmet, You're one of the very few, I would imagine, who have experienced working professionally in dramatic arts at such a high level, both in Iran and the United States. Now in a contemporary sense, how would you, first of all, how would you compare the two experiences
4: so completely different in Iran? We have lots of young people. So when you creative something, you know that you will have a huge audience among young people and here, Uh, it's very difficult finding young audience for for theater, for performance shows. And the other difference refers to censorship, I think. Um, As you all know that in Iran, you always need to be careful about what you say and just be very, very um, careful about uh, the red lines. Uh, But here, um, of course, you don't need to think about those kinds of things. I think in Iran, the most important problem refers to bread uh, lines, and here refers to audience and investment. So, I think these are the main differences
0: that's so interesting. I've heard this now a couple of times and we have some we're going to bring on some theater people in the coming weeks on on Ruk, uh, who are actually working in Iran too. but um, this idea that uh, of all the, the 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 sort of strands of culture of the creative class that theater is actually really big in Iran right now um and and uh, theater festivals and theater production companies etc um, in the west would dream of having young audiences, right? I mean, that's, that is the perennial problem uh, that it's sort of, they call it the gray hairs who are the subscribers or the people who go to the, the festivals, and, or you have to do these really populist musicals, you know, The Lion King or something to attract a young audience. Tell me about that, that interesting moment in Iran right now where, where theater, profound, deep theater is, is respected or uh, is of interest to young people.
4: Yeah, actually, uh, first of all, I would like to uh, turn your attention to this very important point that in Tehran, every night, more than 100 shows are on the stage. I mean, I'm speaking, of course, about the time before COVID-19 and now everything it right, changed. Right. But, uh, but can you believe it? 100 plays every night on a stage in, in a city like Tehran. So it shows us that how... Um, massive audience are interested in theater performance in Tehran, and I think maybe one of the reasons uh, is that um, Iranian youngsters um, really have very limited entertainments. Hmm. They need to choose in between very few way of entertainment. As, and theater is one of them. And the other reason is that, in my opinion, uh, theater in Iran is less censored right. uh, in compare with other uh, dramatic um, performances, like, I mean, like cinema or um, even maybe concerts or other, other way of entertainment.
0: Why is it, why is it less censored?
4: Um, I think maybe because uh, the censors think that theater has very limited audience. Mm. Maybe this is it. And, you know, the way, because, you know, you, you can send um, censor to a, a, every night to a show to see what happened. So, you know, it, it's not easy to censor theater. It's not, I mean, let's say it's not as easy as cinema. It's
0: fascinating. It's fascinating how how a creative form can emerge um, and and reach people because of uh, it's a paradox, right? Because of a repressive policy around censorship, that this one um, or one of the art forms can emerge the way theater has in Tehran or in Iran. That uh, that's a, a very interesting story. Let me let me turn it around and ask you about your experience here uh, as an Iranian scriptwriter. Have you? Have you felt any sort of dismissiveness or disregard of your work um, because of your ethnicity or because of your background in an industry, let's face it, which remains quite white-dominated in the West?
4: Um, Let's say yes. Um, You know, I think uh, it seems that United States is a very free country and it's, I mean, American dream, as you have heard. But, uh, you know, this is not true. I mean, for a, for a writer who came from Iran and whose uh, language is not as good as um, native writers, I encountered lots of, lots of problems. And I will encounter more problem. I know. So if you want to be part of, uh, mainstream in film um, I mean in um, script writers it, it would be very very difficult for you to find a way to uh, show your your work your ability so it's nearly impossible or it's better to say that you need to um, afford much more than a native white Writer. Mm. So, this is the first thing. And the other thing is that even among Iranians who live here, it's very, very difficult to gain their trust. Um, I mean, most of them feel that you are not as trustworthy as a white uh, writer, because you are always in between two words. Hmm. And sometimes people feel that, okay, where do you live? Are you are you living in Iran or are you living in here? And if you live here, why don't you cut all your relations with Iran? And if you live in Iran, why do you want us to hear your voice? (laughs) So I think it's very, very complicated. It's very difficult to, I mean, um, to uh, gain trust from Iranians and to prove yourself to white dominant community.
0: Let me take those one at a time let me get to the Iranian diaspora, the Iranians. But first, when you talk about the problems you have, um, you know, I don't know if you know who Hamid Rahmanian is. Um, he, He was on the show last week and we spoke about how he talked about how, I mean, he's a, he's an, a fantastic artist. Uh, he's a designer, a writer, uh, and, a, uh, um, and a visual artist um, who's won all kinds of awards. He's a Guggenheim Fellow, et cetera. He's in Brooklyn. But he talked about how the Western creative class seems to be interested in working uh, with people of, say, Iranian descent, as long as we are fulfilling a narrative that they're interested in. In other words, to be critical of the regime or have a particular political stance or um, be doing material that has to do with what's happening on the ground in a contemporary sense in Iran or something, otherwise, he he said they they just kind of don't care. So with his, you know, Shahnameh project, they were kind of like, okay, they pat him on the head, thanks very much, but we're not interested. Does that resonate for you, something like that?
4: Oh, I 100% agree with this idea. Uh, let's share a metaphor that I used to use uh, about myself, which was here, sometimes I feel like a uh, like a lion in a circus. I mean they all uh, want me to see something strange, to hear something strange from me, something more exotic, something about how Iran is a difficult country to live, or how censorship just bother us, or uh, talking about something uh, unusual uh, about our culture. So I think it's very true. So as long as I want to talk about um, the political problems in Iran and, I mean, at the same time, something very exotic about our history or about our literature, there are many, many ears to listen to me. But whenever I want just to talk about very regular problems of human beings, uh, people prefer to listen to white uh, writer much more than me. I think I agree this 100%.
0: It's a form of exoticization, I think, you know, it's a, uh, we like you, just be exotic, just do your little dance for us. (laughs) Exactly,
4: uh, (laughs) exactly. It's why that I feel that I'm in a circus. As long (laughs) as I do something strange, there are many people who really want to Look at me, but if I just try to be normal, nobody wants me. <laughs> that is well, then so of course
0: sad. the the flip side is, and not to sort of let the Iranian community off the hook, uh, and, or, you know, because what you just talked about is um, it's it's devastating to hear that uh, an Iranian in the diaspora, who one would presume should be proud of you or want to support you or etc., um, would consider you not as trustworthy. I know that in the relatively short time that you've been based in the U.S., you've had some interaction with Iranian-American wow. cultural organizations. The Fat Hang Foundation, uh, you were on the panel for their 2019 film festival. Um, not just to talk about the Fat Hang Foundation, but what is your take on the Iranian-American community? And you, you, you seem to be talking as if it's something of a minefield.
4: Uh, first of all, um, I, I let me say that I really don't want to generalize what I'm going to talk about. Sure. Um, yeah, of course, there were many, many supportive people from Iranian community who really support us and really stand behind me to push me to do whatever I wanted to do. And for example, here in the University of Washington, there is a, um, I, I'm not sure have you ever heard about NELC, which is Near Eastern Language um, School, something like that. And people from there, they're really, really supportive to help me um, found the theater company. But I have heard and I have faced with many, many obstacles uh, formed from Iranians in front of me. So, yeah, uh, that's true. I mean, you know that we have very, how can I say, very, um, okay, I say Farsi and you help me to translate in English. Uh, We have very, very Take uh, take a culture. How to <laughs> yeah. how do you translate uh, it?
0: Th- well, I mean, uh, we we like to uh, to. Take each other apart. We'd like to uh, um, sort of uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I,
4: I'm sorry, I couldn't find any translation for. You know what about they it. call? You know what
0: they call in English? Actually, there's a saying called "tall poppy syndrome," which is that anyone who, if the poppy gets too tall, they feel like they have to knock it down. You know, it's
1: uh, exactly, uh, yeah, yeah.
4: exactly. That's uh, that's a syndrome, and uh, there is a philosopher he passed away years ago called Darius Shayan, and he called this culture as. Um, Um, And I want to refer him when I am going to speak about uh, this syndrome, uh, what you um, rightly explained. And the problem is that we really, really lost trust together uh, through the time, through this 40 years history of the revolution. People who live in Iran they really don't have a real expectations and real picture of iranians who live here and iranians who live here especially who left iran years ago like right after revolution i can say that they really don't know what happened in iran so for them a writer who left iran like year ago and as you as you said who who was successful in iran and now she is here i'm speaking about myself Mm -hmm. and she tries to do something here is very very suspicious figure so i really feel this in their eyes when they look at me that i am a suspicious figure who lives in between two worlds. but you know that that's not true i mean When I was in Iran, I had lots of lots of problems with censorship, with government, and so on and so forth. And when I'm here, I have lots of problems with Iranians who left that government just because they wanted to live in a free country Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. free atmosphere. Um, As you mentioned, this is very devastating, very much.
0: You know, there's some conversations that we're having on this program that seem like there that we have the conversations we have to just keep continuing where, about issues within the diaspora that it's almost like we have to uh, talk about our own house you know how, how we uh, figure out our own house and 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 one of them is this this paradox that keeps emerging between what I would call the Iranian superiority complex. You know, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mohammed, she said, you know, you, know, you know, we we invented everything. You know, first of all, we're we're the, the, we're the best <laughs> at everything. You know, you point to an object and they'll be like, yes, well, this was you know, first this was Iranian, and you know, and and we're the best, and and but of course, the flip side of that is an inferiority complex. Anyone who has the tarif of themselves over and over again, uh, you know what does that really mean? And there's this weird kind of, um, in, in between uh, the excitement or celebration of other Iranians, there's this feeling sometimes that, Anything non-Iranian is better, anything American or Western. And and, I mean, Hamid Rahmanian again talked about this last week that that he needed, you know, when Francis Ford Coppola did the introduction to his book, suddenly this was validation because somebody from the non-Iranian community thought it was good and a white person was saying, way to go. And this this, um, paradox is quite sad, but to me, it's quite a reality. Do you feel that?
4: Yeah, exactly. I had the same experience. I I had a show, as I told you, um, the first performance was about three weeks ago and the second one came on online stage about two weeks ago, as I remember it rightly. Anyway, so in the first performance, the audience were mostly from Iran and in the second performance we had many um, american audience and when i started to uh, to gather the american's idea about our show and i tried to let other people know about that i felt that suddenly uh, our show became trustworthy you know what I mean. So, yeah, I think that is very true. It's it's very paradox. I I believe that's a paradox because from one hand we feel that we are superior to innovating for innovating everything in the world, hmm. like we are the first people who uh, innovated wheel and literature and everything. Right. But at the same time, we don't believe ourselves. We we need to be proved by um, white dominant communities. So that is very true, and that's a big problem.
0: Now, speaking of the Iranian community, you, you, you wear a hijab. Has the hijab led to any animosity against you in parts of the Iranian diaspora?
4: think so. Actually, I just try to have hijab as much as I don't encounter any problem in my country, in Iran, because it's very important for me to have this right to come back to Iran. You know, uh, we are people like me are very um,
0: you're a public person.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We are very being watched. So I really want to keep this right to come back into my country without any fear. But I totally can understand that this is a sign that this um, refer a message for audience that, okay, so she is some person from Jumhuriya Islami, uh, and she hasn't been part of us yet. But I think, um, yeah, I can understand them, but at the same time, it's not true, because if I was um, muhajab, if I really believed in hijab, I did something else. Did, <laughs> so, does
0: anyone say anything to you, overtly?
4: Yes, uh, I just have heard something that, uh, I'm not I'm not sure that how much that's true or not, but I have heard that um, one of the Persian schools wanted to hire me, uh, and then once they saw a photo of me with hijab, they sent me this message that, oh, we are so sorry, we believe in your career, but at the same time, your hijab doesn't uh, let us to accept you and to trust you as a person who left Iran. So I was so disappointed when I heard that for the first time. And then I encountered again and again with the same words. Uh, But now I, I, I really try to understand them.
0: Let me ask you about your, your creative works. Uh, I said we'll come back to uh, your creative works. And, and I, I'm going to get to Shah because because my mother will kill me if I don't ask you a lot of questions about Shah <laughs> because she's such a big fan. But uh, first of all, s- some of your earlier work is is really quite dark. I watched uh on the weekend, Blood Game, um, and it is really dark and even hard to watch at times. It's a really bleak look at society, relationships, uh, Iran in the early 2000s. I-, I know it was also quite taboo when it came out as a Persian film in 2006, some of the subject matter in there. Uh, but the perspective on Iranian society, I should also say, was not entirely a surprise. I've, you know, even before the revolution, I know I can think of the, the creative class going quite dark when it comes to Iranian art, Iranian film, Iranian songs. Um, why do you think that is? Why do we gravitate towards the dark?
4: Yeah, OK. So uh, I think this is partly because uh, the artist's feeling um we are not apart from our society we are part of our society and uh i exemplify myself as a writer who grew up through different different social disasters like war like uh movements social movements i also uh i I was like seven years old when um, islamic revolution happened so i watched all those happenings and my feeling can't be apart from them and creativity strongly and directly uh, comes from all the experiences that a writer or artist try to create. Mm. So I think that this darkness you consider in Iranian theater or cinema partly comes from our real feeling about our society which is not very very shiny society i feel that we are so isolated we are isolated from all over the world the the financial situation have been worse and worse through last decades and then so i think that yeah this is partly comes from that and partly there is a conspiracy theory, which is, which I believe it, like thirty okay. percent. <laughs> which is okay. So we, as writers and artists, we try to make uh, foreign audiences convinced to accept our creativity because they. It refers to your one of your the first questions that we really want to satisfy them yes. with what we create. So we want to let them be satisfied with looking at a dark society to feel how their society is comfortable for them. So I think this is not 100% true, and partly that's true. This is the only way, maybe one of the only ways, that we can be heard from outside of Iran.
0: Well, see, that that's interesting, because I was going to ask if... if if you think on some level it's it's there's an expectation i mean you're also a scholar of iranian film so you you've thought about this stuff would it be fair to say for example that much of the doom and gloom in iran's trademark dark neorealist cinema is in some ways dictated by what international film festivals can toronto berlin expect and demand from iranian directors
4: um you know i if you try to Uh, sort Iranian directors or Iranian cinema, Uh, there are many different sorts that you can find out. Um, There are some original filmmakers and there are other filmmakers who try to copy them. So I think the original ones, who are very few, they... They really um, want to be loyal to their own creativity and their own feeling. And they, if they feel their society so dark, okay, that, is th- that result in dark productions. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's true, but not 100%.
0: Okay, so let's get to Shah Saad. Uh, because, not just to satisfy my mom, by the way. The success of this series, to me, is that you united various generations. I mean, I can think of friends of mine, there's people of all uh, shapes and sizes and ages who are, who are a huge fan of this series. This is um, the series that you were the co-writer of that ran from 2015 to 2018, uh, and 59 episodes, three seasons. Shahzad, how, first of all, how did this come about?
4: Okay, so uh, it was, I think it was like, um, now it is like six years ago, I just received a call from Mr. Fatih, who is the director and co-writer of the series. And he told me that he has a kind of script and he asked me to read that script and let him know that uh, do I want to be part of uh, this uh, project or not. And then I read that 10... 15 pages script, I felt I really like it. I felt that, okay, this is something that I really want to be part of it. So I told him that, okay, I'm in. And we decided to write it together. And at that script, you could find the very main lines of the story but of course not not any details. Mm. And then, slowly, slowly, this story grown up in my mind, and I just tried to have uh, some, uh, you know, changes to make it better and make it more popular. And Mr. Fatih was I mean, fantastic (laughs) co-writer because he really let me feel free when I wanted to innovate more stories and more characters. And he was really, really great co-writer, I have to say.
0: You know, I have to quote uh, one writer said of Shahzad, said, It is a veritable Iranian godfather plus love story, plus historical docudrama, plus serious social commentary, plus constant reflection on the tragic sense of life, but contextualized in a consummately traditional Iranian sort of way, all rolled into one. (laughs) <laughs> I mean that that's quite an accomplishment and
4: there are more and more pluses, did I, you, did let me, let me did <laughs> you have
0: all of that in mind when you wrote it I mean besides serving the story did you guys know that you were working on something that would be deconstructed as as having this profound an impact?
4: yes and no um no because at the beginning uh, I think we both, really didn't uh, expect uh, this kinds of popular reception for this series. And we didn't have this idea that there would be many, many things in this series that we are going to talk about. But at the same time, I think we were, I, let's say I was full of, full of ideas and full of things that I wanted to talk about. So. Uh, Let's say that these old pluses that you were talking about, or that writer wrote them, uh, they all are in our mind as Iranians. Hmm. When you live in Iran, you are a multi-folded person. I strongly believe that. You can't be just a social person, or political person, or person who just try to Follow feminism or follow history or so on and so forth. So you are a multi person because living in Iran means that you need to think about so many things in the same time. So I think if you can find Shahzad with all these matters and all these subjects in, I think this partly comes from Iranian mind. And of course, we had like one year time before the first episode shooting. So we had really great time to put all those instructions and all those directions into the script.
0: Mm. You know, when you talk about the imperative that we have to be, that you have to be multifaceted people in Iran, um, let me ask about you, being a multifaceted person, because it is curious to me. I just (laughs) talked about Khun Bazi. It wasn't that long ago. It was 15 years ago. You made that film. It's (laughs) curious to me because here you are, this intellectual, this academic who deals in intellectual discourse, deep issues, this profound playwright. And yet on the face of it, Shahzad, it's really accessible. I mean, it's basically a populist love story. Um, Tell me about that side of you that would gravitate toward this kind of material.
4: Oh, that I li- I love this question. <laughs> yeah, I actually I feel nobody nobody teaches me this, but I uh, I thought from uh, my own experiences that as a female Iranian writer, I need to be multifaceted, as Ru rightly mentioned. Otherwise, I will lose everything in a minute. So. Uh, you know, when you live in Iran, as a woman, and as a writer, and as a person whose education is in theater, so you are in a very risky, risky edge of your life and your experiences. So I think that I understood step by step that I really need to be multifaceted. Because if I lost something, I can just uh, grasp something else and if i lost the other one i can just jump into the other field and that is why that i survived that is the way that i survived in iran as a female writer female playwright but are you are you a
0: are you a romantic because it's hard for me to believe i mean maybe you're just really good at your job (laughs) but it's hard for me to believe you could write that series without being a romantic yourself
4: i think i'm very romantic yeah, yeah, I am a very romantic person. Let me confess. yeah, i I, I still believe in love, and I be s- still believe in how people suffer from love and how they should suffer from love. and love is so precious for me. And if you mean from romantic all those things, yes, i I uh, say that i'm ai confess, I admit that I'm a romantic person,
0: <laughs> you know, Sharsad was, there's another thing that comes to mind with this, which is that it was sanctioned by the ministry of culture in Iran. And and while we have explored all the ways in which Iran remains culturally repressed, even depressed as a result of a heavy hand of the regime sent, we've talked about censorship a lot on Rook, this, spectacular series of yours was filmed and distributed in Iran. So at the same time, it's very existence suggests that those who insist that contemporary Iran is only a cultural backwater plagued by censorship and where genuine artistic expression is incapable of emerging organically are wrong. How are we to make sense of the level of cultural freedom or creative emancipation that does exist in Iran?
4: Okay, so you never can follow Iran with one formula. It's not true about Iran that this is the country of censorship, so no creativity can happen there. Um, there are uh, many, many different eras that you can work and you face with less censorship. For example, when we started to uh, work on the project, the Khanegi, uh, how can I? <laughs> There's we no translation. We have Netflix. We have uh, Amazon, but we don't have these kinds of um, selling CDs episode oh, right, by right. episode in grocery stores. You never, you never see. Uh, any episode of a new released uh, series in a grocery store right here? No,
0: actually, I was shocked when I heard that Shahrazad was distributed this way. I thought it, I thought it was just on TV in Iran but but then a no, friend of mine no, told no. me that you not had to go all. and buy no, it.
4: This, that was not part of TV Did not, not, uh, not, that was not part of P- TV show. otherwise we never ever could say so many things like this. This is what I'm going to uh, to tell you official governmental TV in Iran is very under the control of government and is very under the control of censorship. And it's more than about 15 years that I couldn't work there, I mean. So, no, Shahzad was not uh, released in TV as a weekly show, never ever. It was part of selling CDs week by week in grocery stores, in bookshops, and some other places like that, you know? So people uh, were paying for that to get uh, this week episode, and then the next week they came again to buy the next CD and watch the next episode. And this is what happened. How oh, Shahzad spreaded out all the communities, all the country, and it it, it became so popular, isn't it? So weird! It's really it's
0: it's un it's it would be unheard of, first of all, here for people to go and, but but it's also very confusing as somebody who's in the diaspora to try and figure all of this out. You know, there's the stuff that's sanctioned that's on TV, then there's the stuff that wouldn't make it to the TV but isn't censored enough that you could not find it in the grocery store. Then there's the stuff you get on satellite that somehow they don't come and cut the satellite. I mean, it's really confusing what 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 you're allowed to watch or see. (laughs) Uh, uh, But also, it's because, as you have said, and as Bahman Farmanara said last month on this show and others have said, it's sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. Some stuff gets censored, other stuff doesn't. And so you kind of just have to create the content and see what happens to a certain extent, I imagine.
4: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I know that how confusing is that for people in diaspora. I can totally understand that. But that is what it is. That is what it is. That is what you can find in Iran, that you never can, as I mentioned, you never can analyze what happened in Iran just with one formula. Okay, we all know that there are many censorships, but the levels are completely different. So, yeah, so the way that Shahzad was produced, especially at that time, uh, it was even freer than now. So we could write uh, nearly whatever we wanted to write. I say nearly because we have some, so many self-censorships. Because I, for example, I grew up in Iran. I grew up in, I, I know red lines very well. But at the same time, I know that sometimes when I am writing, I have all those censorships in myself. So this kind of self-censorship self-cens- just let us not to cross all the red lines in a way to prevent it uh, to show or project so the Shahzad uh, grow up in a freer atmosphere and compare with what happened in tv
0: i hope you don't mind me asking you this because i know you know with iranians we always feel like it talking money is not necessarily the the thing that it doesn't feel elegant to ask you about money but but when you have a big hit series like this i mean like, it doesn't get bigger do you Do you make a lot of money? I mean, if you wrote, if you co-wrote The Sopranos or Game of Thrones, you'd be, you know, you are one of the the, the wealthiest people in the creative class in in the United States. (laughs) So is that also true for a series like this?
4: Oh, no, no, not at all, unfortunately. Um, You know, the the contract of writers in compare with uh, actors is nothing, unfortunately and i am not a kind of warrior to fight for that hmm. so maybe i try hard to, to be part of the co-writers of next uh, season of game of thrones it <laughs> never can be happened as far as i know
5: <laughs>
4: so no that's not true unfortunately
0: well it's sure i mean it, it is something to Uh, it's another interesting and difficult uh, reality of the, of uh, arts and culture when it comes to Iran and the Iranian diaspora is, is that, you know, if you were writing in, in the position you, if you've co-written Seinfeld or co-written some, you know, as I say, the Sopranos, you every, first of all, everybody knows your name and, and you know, you, you're, you get the winnings from that. You get the spoils of that. Um, Uh, I didn't expect that the answer would be, yes, I, I'm a billionaire now. But it but given the popularity and the reach of Shahzad, I believe you should be. You know, you should you should <laughs> have been compensated for that. Let me ask you Not about some and, of the…
4: Okay, let, let me just uh, go ahead, say yeah. something more, which is, um, actually, when I signed the agreement at the beginning of the project, I, plus other people, people in the project, we really didn't expect such a popularity. So um, the first agreements were so low because it was like, okay, we are going to make a project, nobody will like it. So <laughs> right. So no, no top agreement and nothing like that. So it's just something. But that's for not totally true.
0: Us. You must have had a big you, you knew you had a big enough budget to, I mean, it's a beautiful series. So you, you knew that there was a lot of people working on it. You guys had to have thought that it's going to do okay.
4: Not as much as uh, what happened afterward. Mm. Really, not as much as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we we, we thought that okay, a, a very small community of kind of educated intellectual people will like it because it's of, about history, and it's not about um, the you know the recent time in Iran. So many people just kept telling us that okay, nobody will like it. Just as I told you, a very, very small community of intellectuals and educated people will like it, but not more. But what happened was completely different.
0: Let me ask you about some of the symbolism in uh, in Shahzad. And I know you've talked a lot about and written about gender. And I want to ask you about gender in Shahzad, because uh, let me try this on you. I don't know if this this will resonate or feel right to you or not. But for me watching it, Bozorg Agha, the big man, he's the the patriarch of this big kind of uh, mafia family, you might say. Yeah, uh, and, and you can make the case that he is the proxy for old patriarchal Iranian society itself. And so, so if that's true, the interesting part of that to me is that in the story, While he would officially stand against almost everything that Shahzad, the woman, uh, is, an intellectual, a social critic, a a doctor, a powerful independent young woman, he also loves her, presumably her strength, and desperately wants her to be the person the next generation of the family stems from. How do we make sense of that disconnect with respect to Iranian patriarchy?
4: Okay, Uh, very good question. Actually, it's a very, complicated uh, how patriarchy in Iran works. I think uh, the patriarchy in Iran is very different from what you see in, for example, Afghanistan or other neighbors of Iran. It's very, very different. And especially in um, in big cities, it works differently from um, like small cities and towns and somewhere else. So. I think patriarchy in Iran, in general words, um, hate uh, strong women and at the same time love them. And the result of this contradiction is that they really want to, um, to have them, to possess um, strong intellectual women. So I, I tried to symbolize uh, Bozor Gaga as uh, as you rightly mentioned, as there's patriarchy in Iran. Uh, if I just showed Buzur as a um, as a person who hated Shahzad, it was not true. And if I just showed him as a person who loved Shahzad, again, it was not true. So I needed to find something in between to show how patriarchy uh, deal with um Iranian strong intellectual women and that is exactly what happened in the series and I think part of the it, 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 I think this is one of the powerful point of the series that Buzorgava is a character like patriarchy in Iran is a character it's not a type you know mm. and it, and what while it's so complicated um fighting with this is so difficult if it was not, multi uh, multifaceted, I'm speaking about patriarchy. It was much easier to fight with this, but it is multifaceted. So um, I think uh, Shahzad and Busurgara just try to mirror what is in the very profound layers of our culture.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about the layers of the culture, there's no question, and certainly there'd be a lot of people who would only focus on how um, um, women are, do not have uh, the rights, the respect, uh, the legal standing, the the, abil- the ability to do what they want in Iran the, um, the way men do or they should. Um, a- and then at the same time, you've got, contrary to stereotype, in your own field, you have more women directors uh, and working in cinema. <laughs> Than most Western countries, um, so for people on the outside, that's that's not necessarily information that they would know um, or assume, and this is part of the confusion, part of what you're the complexities that you're talking about, right?
4: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, just let me add a very tiny note that there is a huge difference in between. Uh, the situation of women in Tehran with other big cities, and there are many, many differences in between women who live in big cities other than Tehran and women who uh, live in villages. So um, we have to consider that very, very important uh, note and then think about all those uh, things.
0: And and tell, tell us what the differences are.
4: Okay, so, yeah, I mean, Tehran is, uh, as you may experience, uh, so let, let me ask you a question. How many years been you far from Tehran?
0: <laughs> never. I've never, I grew never. up, I was born, really? born in London. I visited <laughs> once as a kid with my family, so I'm a complete diaspora kid. I born in London, grew up uh. in England, Canada.
4: Oh my god, so your your Parsi, your Persian is perfect. Congratulations <laughs> <laughs> That will
0: be news to anyone who's listening it's to not this show. <laughs> <my laughs> <English. laughs>
4: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so if you've been in Tehran you could see that Tehran is super modernized city. Uh, I remember that for the first time I went to New York and when I came back to Seattle All my friends just kept asking me that, how was your experience in New York? Did you feel any cultural shock? And I said, no, not at all. New York was just like Tehran. (laughs) And I didn't feel anything unusual in New York. So let me tell you that how Tehran is progressed, modernized, crazy, crazy, crazy um, capital and when i say modernize it's not just because of uh, the buildings and it's not just because of the roads and highways and so on and so forth it's just because of the culture i met some women in iran so open-minded and so modernized and so educated that i never ever met some people like them in united states Hmm. so this is this is the situation in tehran And then in big cities still people are somehow under the umbrella of tradition. When I say tradition it is partly tradition and it's partly religion and something I mean this mixture. And then when you go to small villages, I think women are very suffer from patriarchy. These, these days, you can find lots of news about how women are bullied and are killed in small cities. And as you may consider, all these victims are victimized in small cities and villages, which shows that still in, in those part of Iran, women are very under the patriarchy, in harsh Mm -hmm. patriarchy, I Mm -hmm. have to say. So this is the difference, in my opinion.
0: But Nagma, I mean, obviously I defer to you, but at the same time, I mean, the Daughters of the Revolution who are Mm -hmm. fighting the hijab, for example, they were in Tehran, or the inability to watch a soccer game alongside men, that was also recently overturned, but that was in Tehran. I mean, these things are not just in the villages, right?
4: Um, yeah, that's true actually. Okay, revolution is very uh, um, paradoxical um, phenomena in terms of uh, women movements in Iran. So, so many laws are against the women in Iran, especially after revolution, and at the same time, women who came into the street, they didn't want to come back to home easily. So I think, in my opinion, that is one of the reasons that uh, women are so active in Iran at this time. Um, doesn't matter, they are from religious families or from kind of um, modernized, westernized families. They both are outside of home and they both try to have social um, activism and social um, you know, walks. What
0: about in in your field, that that, um, statistic I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, that Iran has a higher percentage of women directors than most Western countries. Why do you think that is?
4: I think uh, first uh, there are many women who really want to do something in the society. And then I think women in Iran, especially educated, you know, kind of um, intellectual women, they have kind of very powerful inner voice. There are many, many things that they want to talk about. Uh, If, for example, they were living in a country like Sweden, they may didn't feel uh, that they really need to go out to say something or to express themselves. But I think in Iran, when you are a woman, when you are educated, when you are open-minded family, so you feel that uh, you can hear your inner voice and then you want to express that mm.
0: you know, in your I, I mentioned uh, the taboo subjects that you've dealt with in your work, you've also boldly challenged. Post-revolution gender stereotypes that are often held so dear by the authorities. You talked a few moments ago about not being able to uh, have a series of yours get on TV for about fifteen years or something. What what is the price that you and your creative talents uh, have had to pay for challenging the party line, if you if you will?
4: Uh, okay, okay, it's vary from people to people. Mm, I mean, my experience can't be generalize to others, Um, sometimes you are excluded from uh, the mainstreams of the culture. Sometimes you are not invited to do something that you are very capable for that. Sometimes, I mean, that is the most difficult part. Sometimes suddenly you wake up and you open your Instagram and there are many, many things against you which you don't know where they come from. And then, afterward, you can figure out that was kind of project to uh, kill your creativity. Right. So there are many, many ways. And actually, I have to say that that is very, very, sometimes the price is unbelievable. But that's, that's your job. That is your goal. And you, step by step, you learn how to deal with them.
0: I mean, you, you've said that you want to keep the door open to going back to Iran and doing work in Iran. When you sit there in Seattle um, and the new company that you've formed and the work you're doing now, do you feel somehow more free? Like, wow, I can sit down and just write whatever I want somehow that is not going to be passing through the eyes of somebody who gets to decide whether this is going to be censored or not? Or does it just really feel the same?
4: Uh, if I say I feel the same, would it be very disappointing? <laughs> uh, I feel I don't feel exactly the same, but I really don't feel something very different. Um, I just finished the play two nights ago. I just put the um, last uh, full stop, and I. I just closed the file, but when I yesterday when I started to read the play, I felt that okay, if I was in Iran, I would write the same thing. So, if this is my own question. I, I think it's a little bit soon to answer this question, mm. because uh, you know, from one side, I think maybe it's because I used to uh, use my self censorship when I write. And from the other hand, maybe it's because that I am always writing about um, something that um, don't need to be censored a lot. So, yeah, I think I need to. I need more time to think about that. You know, I, I am a little bit frightening that maybe this is because I am very absorbed by self censorship and. Mm. It may be true. So I need time to be more clear with myself.
0: If you were to guess right now, where do you see yourself being in the next decade? Where's the, the journey of Nagma Amini going? Do you see yourself returning back to the, the career and life you've carved out in Tehran? Or is this new adventure in the West and in the United States something that you're going to continue?
4: So, oh, do, you, do you love me to be a little bit more romantic and idealist?
0: I, I like both sides of you. <laughs> <laughs> All the contradictions.
4: <laughs> so, okay. I I would love to extend my company, my theater company here. It is called Seda, which means voice. Mm-hmm. And I put this name because I thought that as a... Uh, Iranian immigrants, we really need to be heard by other Iranians and by other diversities. So this is the first thing I'm thinking about. And second thing is that I wish, I mean, I hope I can translate my place um, in English and publish them and make them staged. So this is the other uh, hope and uh, other thing that I'm thinking about and actually I'm trying about. And this, the third thing is that finding a way to enter to the writers' community, I mean, script writers' community in the United States to work here as a script writer as well. That is what I am imagining about in United States. And if you ask about Iran, actually, I have no more hopes in Iran that I never could uh, get to it. Hmm.
0: Well, we have a lot more, uh, we expect a lot more from you. Uh, the, the more content, more plays. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time and really look forward to talking to you more in the future.
4: Thank you so much. And if your mom um, has more questions, please uh, <laughs> ask her kindly email me.
0: <laughs> I don't think you want to open up that that, that Pandora's box, you know. There's a I lot am. of questions she has about Shahzad. Merci. Thank you for this.
4: Merci. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: That is award-winning playwright, screenwriter, professor Nagme Samini. She joined us from Seattle, Washington today. Such an interesting conversation to have with Nakhmeh Samini. Uh, if you have thoughts on that, of course, let us know on any of our platforms. or at info at rookmedia.com. Kian has walked back in. Hello, Hello. Kian.
2: Hi, Gian. How's it going?
0: How about that? Hey, guys. Uh, uh, Nakhmeh Samini. It's
2: quite fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. I was.
3: It was awesome. I loved it. One note I wanted to mention: I realized uh, that she was talking about Farhange uh, Tikkepare. Tikkepare, yeah, yeah, right. Uh-huh, uh, and um, um, I think um, you mentioned uh, uh, Tall Poppy Syndrome, which is not untrue. We have that as well. But, but that uh, wasn't the right interpretation. But that wasn't the, the okay. right interpretation. I think the right, the better interpretation would be um, a torn and patched culture, uh, which yeah, we okay. we do have. Um, uh, as Far as as the
0: yeah. the, v- the culture of the forty forty pieces. pieces. <laughs> <laughs> well that's
3: that not that's not too bad either. Right. But yeah, a torn and patch culture I think um is a is a better interpretation right, of that. Right. Jean, do, you know,
1: do you know what we call s- um, soccer ball? Soccer ball. Soccer, soccer ball. ball? Yeah. After uh, that.
0: foot um <laughs> tupe football.
1: No.
3: <laughs> no. Oh, he, I see
1: where he's going we call with call this chel-tique, tupe chel-tique.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait—is it have? Does it have Cheltike? No, no. But oh,
1: actually,
0: Chelsea. <laughs> so, so wait a minute. Chel, just to explain to non-Farsi uh, speakers, Chelsea chel is forty, and tike yeah. is pieces. pieces. Yes. So the. So did you say tupe Chelsea mm-hmm. So the 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 oh. ball of forty pieces. Yes. Why? Why does the, yeah?
1: Oh, so. Um, we have a traditional uh, uh, leather parche leather uh, Parche uh, is fabric fabric we have a traditional pap- fabric that made with uh, uh, different with uh, you know uh, used cloth used oh. cloth they they, oh. they merge it and together and they make soccer balls out of that no no they oh. merge it together and make a fabric called cheltike okay and because the so oh, the soccer ball is... So you know. I see, I see what I see. Oh, I thought it was because it's 40 pieces. So
3: no, no, they no. take pieces of fabrics and patch them together. Right. And they call yeah. it. Celtic Celtic. And, because the soccer and Because the soccer ball, is soccer ball is looks m- like it's, there are different pieces patched oh, together. Oh, they don't actually they make the soccer
0: ball out of that fabric. No. <laughs> no <they don't. laughs> huh. All right. This is a very. Uh, how many Iranians does it take to explain uh, what we call a soccer well, ball? So at least far, two. And yeah, we at failed, least. Miserably. <laughs> s- <laughs> Keon, like what a, have you learned today? It's what?
2: like a Farsi class for me every time I come here. Like right. last Great. week with Shia's comment on the cola cap, and this week with the. <laughs> right. Two but by pitch the way, that's
0: controversial. I know you're going to get to it in the, the yeah, mail. Yeah. But uh, the cola cap is not went viral so, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not. Uh, some people disagree with you, Shia. Yeah. Well, let's get to we'll get to that in the le, in the letters. But but um, so uh, Keon, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you call soccer ball in Farsi?
2: Uh, tupa football is how I would refer no, to it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you just learned I disagree I still
3: you don't go.
2: really exactly. I've never heard that. It doesn't matter Where did But you, go you have up, to trust yeah. G- <laughs> Which tra- village did you go? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <You have to> <laughs> <laughs> moving on.
0: I see. This is the urban and rural divide that Naharbi was uh, referencing, yes. right? Uh, you're shaming him because no, he comes I, from I'm, a small village. I love Sh- called I Tehran. <laughs> I think is the uh, uh Shia. So, so how sure are you about uh, Tuppichal Tike? <laughs> because are we going to get a bunch of mail from people saying that that's not the
1: word? Co- uh, about color cap you mean no I mean about, about, about soccer ball well, no that's <laughs> you know I, I I grown up with that culture let's go to play <laughs> with Celtic all right well, there we go Aww. have you so, ever heard of that I Reza think, yeah yeah I've, right, that. Okay. yeah I've heard of that yeah
0: I've heard of that if Captain Reza says yeah <laughs> we'll just
2: accept it.
0: <laughs> all right uh, by the way um, uh, uh, a lot of people uh, you know what I discovered this week because we did a little Instagram uh not a contest, but a shout-out to what, what platform are you listening to us on? Because mm-hmm. people who, if you listen to Rook on one platform, you think that that's the platform it's on. So it's like some people think, oh, this is a SoundCloud show, or, oh, they it's on YouTube. It's just on YouTube. Well, what was the number one response on Instagram? I'm going to tell you.
2: I, I'm looking at you like, uh, the, am I the, supposed the, the to res- know
0: that? The, no, no. the response was... <laughs>
2: <laughs> no,
0: Horror as the person who, 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 who checks our letters, apparently you don't check the Instagram, but that's, that's okay because Sarah's doing it, it's uh, Spotify. Really? Yeah, the platform huh. that got the highest number of respondents was Spotify. I yeah. didn't know that. Not that interesting. Wow.
2: I thought it'd be YouTube. That, that's what I thought too. Yeah. I, be I mean,
0: obviously, a lot of people yeah. consume the content on, on YouTube, but huh. Spotify. So anyway, it's on Spotify. It's iTunes. on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud, uh, and and it's on uh, YouTube. And soon our website, when <laughs> <TikTok>. <laughs> which we will launch, <laughs> which we will launch in twenty twenty seven. The uh, yes. that will be <laughs> and that will be too soon. Our website is coming. I promise it's coming. (laughs) All right. It's Thursday. It's towards the end of the show. You know what that is? It's time for Letters of the Week with Keon. You know what's funny is every week I, I go, it's time for Letters of the Week with Keon. And then the music is just kind of like so mellow. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, like, I need a new You'd think there'd
0: be it's like something. Right. Shaya, can yeah. you work on that? We need drum rolls. I need like we a need theme
2: song or something, something exciting. Letters of the week. <laughs> it's time for letters of
0: the week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Even I'm falling <laughs> oh, okay. asleep. Or, or All, right. Need, All right, letters of the week. What do we have? Okay. So last week on episode 17, we had the wonderful. Iranian-American comedy star Kayvon, on the show, joining us from Las Vegas, he, uh, who
0: you mentioned is uh, very handsome.
2: He is. You yeah. said that at least four times. It's because yeah. <laughs> he's so hilarious. I think funny guys really oh, get to me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he spoke about his unique upbringing as a half Iranian, half American, and how he got into the comedy business. As well, on that same show, we had the globally acclaimed classical pianist Leila Ramazan yes. on the show, joining us from Lausanne, Switzerland.
1: So,
0: People loved yeah. Leila Ramazan. Yeah. Good. And she's got she such was, a lovely personality, really lovely. as well as being incredibly talented. Yeah. Sure.
3: That was an interesting duo, I thought. Putting yeah. Leila Ramazan and Kwan together, I thought it was it was very interesting. Yes,
0: hmm. uh, you're complimenting yourself as a member of the Rook team who made the decision. <laughs> a so good, yeah, that's and a good. Classical pianist. Yeah,
3: all right. Keon. What do you got, Keon? So
2: first, we we got an email from an Atif Tavish. Uh, I should know how to pronounce her name. I do know her. She's from Halifax. You know her. I grew up in Person- Halifax for a part of my life. Wait a minute. Jesus you were, how every
0: week you grew I, up from somewhere God. else? Listen,
2: we got bored. Two we weeks ago, you <laughs>
0: two weeks ago <laughs> it was Dubai. Okay, I'll, and, I'll uh,
2: simplify it. Born in Des Moines, Iowa. Age two, we moved to Kuwait for my dad's work. Age ten, we came to. Uh, to toronto to live here Um, my dad saw some kids smoking weed or something and he's like i don't want to raise my kids here (laughs) it reminded him of new york so anyway so then we went to halifax because his friend was there and he loved it so we grew up in halifax and then I ended up moving back to Toronto later on. So. Wow! Yeah. Wow. And yeah, sure.
0: also, there's this like, you know, it's it's almost like a joke to think that everyone in every Iranian outside of Iranian knows each other. Yeah. But we <laughs> they, do. This keeps happening. Where, I mean, Atafeh. <laughs> yeah. uh
2: Tabish. Ta- 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 yeah.
0: We got an, uh, before you even started doing letters, we had heard from her. So, so she's not listening to the show because of you no you discovered that she but you actually know her
2: i do yeah and she like she was delightfully surprised too to hear me and she actually reached out and said you know nice to hear your voice so So, uh,
0: where will you be from next week (laughs) some other?
2: <laughs> stay tuned. Maybe Ghana. Maybe Switzerland. I don't know. Uh, whatever Jamaica. fits the mood. Yeah. I uh, think.
1: I think the correct pronunciation of her last name. I think it would be Tabesh. Tabesh. Oh, Thank you, Shaya.
2: Is. That's. I. Wh- she, what would uh, I do without you, honestly? She grew up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm on How a first name basis. New, it's a new low
0: when you oh, can't pronounce the <laughs> friends you've known. <laughs> <My> <laughs> I love you, You Kayla. Anyway, actually,
2: funny enough, my mom used to be a Farsi teacher and she taught (laughs) her kids. Don't make
1: it worse. you were just
2: digging yourself. Anyway, let's get to what she said. So she said, I met Kayvon a few years ago at a Noroos function in Halifax. He's one of the funniest comedians ever. My kids who were born here could relate with him and actually enjoyed an Iranian function for the first time. Mm. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Uh, she goes on and says, And thank you for introducing Leila to me and all your audience. She is a jewel of Persian art and music. Her peaceful voice and magical fingers is all the world needs. Kudos to all. Nice. That was nice. It was a nice message. Um, Atafay. <laughs> Atafay. Get it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next we have a uh, Sherry Geram Michosh from uh, on YouTube. She wrote, "So glad you're back. Wishing you nothing but the best, and looking forward to your future endeavors." That's that's a nice Thank note. You,
0: Sher- future endeavors. The, 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 the show is <laughs> so my future
2: endeavors. Is, <laughs> <She's already, laughs> <it's happening.
0: laughs> is that the last time she's listening to <laughs> like Rook?
2: Office Talk? Good luck
1: with your future. Endeavors. <laughs> I
0: wish you. That was great. Now, good luck with Lujan. your. <laughs> this is like a maybe. It's like the iranian thing good luck when you get a real job yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> dude is on the side
0: okay thank you so, sherry uh, my lovely. yeah
2: so uh next i don't think this is a name it's a youtube username it's fg kuri uh on youtube wrote uh, wrote have you thought about making rook media merchandise
0: huh oh um mm-hmm. y- yeah We've discussed sure that, yeah, yeah. The B Rook T-shirts yes. that I'm going to be rolling I
5: think
3: out.
5: That'd be cool. Rookola
0: yeah. cap uh, for cap. <laughs> <for people laughs> that's for that's right. the first project. R- uh, Rook tupe chel uh, t-care. chel t yeah. Mug the the Rook uh, soccer balls uh, yeah no for sure we got to do that okay yeah,
2: yeah. we should um, I think the
0: slogan should be B Rook. Yeah. B-rok. Like caps exactly. with B-Rook on Exactly right?
2: Exactly, exactly. In Oh I in just English. got that It took me way longer Than it should have Like oh, B-Rook Yeah b I Rook. thought you meant Like the letter B And Rook And I was like what Nobody's name starts With a C <laughs> Anyway Dear Lord Kian okay. Continue so, <laughs> I haven't had coffee Okay <laughs> So uh, as well We had Hamid Sh- On like S-H Is the last name Right I think he's written To us before uh, On YouTube wrote Gian. Back in your previous show Q You interviewed English folks Whom I mostly Did not know of I automatically associated this lack of common knowledge to the fact that I spent my childhood in Iran. Now, on Rook, you again continue to bring the most interesting guests, but yet again, I'm in the same situation. (laughs) Perhaps this comes with becoming a member of a diaspora. You have a gift of bringing people together, people of different nations, and creating a sense of community. Thank you. That was a really nice oh, That's knowledge. really nice. Yeah. That, yeah. I th- <laughs>
0: uh, who does Hamed know? Because know. he doesn't know. He didn't know the, the English guests or the Farsi guests. That's very nice, though. He that turned it around nice there moment. at the end of that. Thank yeah. you, Hamed.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jill Hendry on YouTube wrote, What a perfect way to end the week. Thank you. Who That's, was that? Uh, Jill Hendry.
0: Jill? Hendry. Hendry. Yeah. Just you can you need to go that, a little right? slower <laughs> so we can hear the
2: names. <laughs> yeah. uh, next, we have Aya Trezefar. I'm butchering that name, I'm okay. sure. Trezefar. Uh, she oh, no, said. No,
3: no. Aya, what was the last name again?
2: Trezefar.
1: Mm. China, even yeah. even Shaya. I would say know. it's Ayat Rezaifar, but I don't know. Oh. There we go.
2: You know oh, what? It what? was conjoined together uh, in, uh, in the know. username, so maybe I'd, I uh, made a mistake there. Hop, Ayat Rezaifar said, Kola cap is as wrong as saying non bread. Ooh, Ooh Shaya, what do you got yani, to say? You
1: know, yeah.
0: like uh, bread is non. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, in. in, in the Indian name for it, but, uh, but uh, noon, so noon bread or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, kola cap, it's uh, this. Uh, so,
2: to, to explain to those viewers mm-hmm. that weren't, or, uh, people Listeners, tuning in, right. um, kola cap, we were wondering what baseball cap is in Farsi, and Shaya suggested that it's kola cap, which we were all pretty shocked about.
0: Uh, no, we were excited because we thought Shia was teaching us something. Yeah. And now we realize okay. he's teaching us incorrect things <laughs> yeah. that we're going to run
1: around and tell our Persian friends cat. and get laughed at. <laughs> okay. I, Probably in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The same. No, no, I did not watch baseball, t- <laughs> so
1: we call it cola cap. <laughs> yeah. See,
0: we'll this is why I'm wondering about tupa tupa chiltey chel- No, I've heard
3: that too, and I'm from. Okay, uh, yes. I'm not from Tehran. I'm from south of Iran. I'm from right, Shira, we'll so
1: I've heard tupa chel- is still controversial. But had you
0: heard cola cap?
3: No, never heard cola That's from his
1: neighbor. But does
0: this does this person say what what
1: it is called?
2: Uh, no oh. She or he did not She okay. just said Kola cap" is As wrong as saying non bread." Alright uh, sure. ha-
1: Have you heard about Shalvor Baggy yeah. yeah That <laughs> that, that, yeah, that I can across, understand yeah. Yeah. Okay Baggy pants
3: Baggy yes, pants I understand <laughs> <laughs>
2: That makes sense Khob. Then we have Cyrus calot On YouTube Kalat It's spelled Kalat <laughs> I don't know
1: It's okay, okay. You guys but are just Killing me over here <laughs>
2: Khob He said Another amazing episode With beautiful Iranian talents thank you for showing all of us especially the younger generation about the very rich Persian culture music art and much more I encourage my sons Matin, age 18 and Artin age 14 to listen and learn about our very rich fat hang by the way the si- mm. yeah that yeah. means culture uh by the way the side talks with your team are getting exciting and funny keep it up mm. as I said before I'm becoming addicted to Rook
1: great
0: the oh, side exactly. talks are getting interesting are getting yeah interesting. Ha, has yani been, they, they where, where so did they start yeah. yeah that's yeah. right yeah. they were not good but such
3: cool names his, his, his children have Ma- Matin, Matin. yeah, yeah.
2: Persians do that they do the rhymed yeah, names, yeah, definitely names rhyme. with the same letter yeah. start. Yeah. Like for me, it's Kion Docht. I don't know. if No you guys way. Know, yeah, K-Rose, Kion Docht, and Kumar.
3: So your yeah. name is Kion Docht, and you can pronounce Halabari. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kion <laughs> Docht.
2: My parents really wanted to ruin my life. Born oh. in Iowa, they're like, Where, let's name her Kion Docht. What was Ducht? your name
0: when you were in uh, uh, Vancouver growing up? Halifax,
4: you mean? <laughs> no, just
0: no. I just get, it seems to be a new place yeah. every week. That's all I'm I, saying. I always
4: went with Kion. She's an That's,
0: enigma. She just, you'll
4: never know. I
2: think
0: she's making Episodically. it up. I think she's making it My up. My whole story is she
2: just is a big funny story. She in Dubai,
0: Halifax. <laughs> Kuwait. Kuwait actually but anyway uh, was it Kuwait? it was Kuwait oh yeah, we thought it was yeah. uh, you said Dubai no, no, as well no I said Kuwait yeah, oh, same Kuwait. thing
2: really it make <laughs> it's, not the, <laughs> it's, it's not, not, the, not same the same
0: thing only. these are jokes we don't think those are the I'm same I'm offending
2: so many people every time I come on this show <laughs> <laughs> well, Uh let's move on from there uh, as well this week on episode 18 we had the rapper producer and record label owner Airfon on the show yes yeah. really really Airfond. enjoyed that interview already
0: one of, one of our most uh listen sure. to episodes yeah. in three days. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, so we had him joining from Los Angeles. Uh, if For those people tuning in that don't know him, he's a pioneer of Persian hip-hop and spoke very rookly, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. about his experience of entering a completely new space in Iranian music and the challenges of facing critics on the way up. So mm-hmm. I, like I said before, he's this has been one of my favorite shows on Rook so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and judging by the letters this week, I think many people agree. So yeah.
0: You were saying, uh, you were telling me that he... Uh, you, when you heard the interview he was different from what you expected Air yeah, was going to be.
2: There's this stereotype of rappers in general you expect them to be these tough guys and kind of like nonchalant in the way they speak. Um, he was so humble and down to earth and um, just, when he was talking about his upbringing of like growing up and just Getting drowned in Persian poetry because he was kind of in between Iran and America, and a lot of people misunderstood him, I guess, because he, you know, he had an identity crisis at the time, and his escape was Iranian poetry, which I thought was beautiful. I wasn't expecting yeah. that at all yeah. to hear. I don't know. He just yeah. He sounded well, I, really wonderful. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. So what did people say?
2: Oh, uh, we had Parnia Alipour on YouTube wrote, "I've been following Airfun for years, but he's never had an interview like this before. Thanks. Good job. Um, oh, I that's agree." Really nice that's yeah, yeah, it's one of the first times I've heard him speak like that. Uh, as well, Marlene Khoury on YouTube wrote, uh, Iranian rapper equals modern-day Rumi. The world needs more rappers like him, speaking the truth. Wow, That, that was praise. powerful, yeah, oh, modern-day Rumi, praise. and it's true. He nice. really was. Um, Ali Zakir on YouTube wrote, This was a beautiful interview, Jean John and Rook team. Naboshid. Really, life happens in the gray area, as Erfan said. Ye chizi Good luck and keep up the good work.
0: Nice. Thank you, Ali Zakir. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, that's, that's pr- uh, something. Lyrics between. from his song, right?
1: It's uh, the like name of one of his songs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Beautiful song. Um, Green Rain, a username Green Rain on YouTube wrote I would love an interview with Shaya as your guest.
3: Oh, wow. oh. I've suggested that
1: before. I but
0: agree. Shia sorry. gets interviewed every episode. Right. <laughs> I ask him, you know, what? How'd you get to the studio today? Can and you play me a song? Did you, did, did, did you? Know what? Is, what what do I call baseball cap? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. That's
3: yeah. right. You know what's interesting? When uh, what Kian uh, Docht said just about now. <laughs> you can stick to <laughs> <laughs> Kian Doctar. <to> Kian, <laughs> Kian yeah. Yeah. Just said about uh, Rockley. Yes. Speaking. Yeah. Uh, you know what I was just saying? It just occurred to me that uh, it, it, there are a lot of, uh, quite a few non English phrases in the English language that found its place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like what? for instance, touche is a French word, mm. right? But we use it all the time. Sure. And it's That's almost true. Become. I wonder if, like, years down the road, people would use the word rook. Speaking in, very in, rookly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and speak like in their in in the da- their daily conversation. that would be interesting. We should you make that what?
1: a thing. Let's start. I, I, use I, use
0: I, use I use believe use. years from now, at least three people will be. <laughs> 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 and
1: they're and all English Maybe Keon as well. <laughs> so that's four. <more> I <laughs> 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 actually, uh, my my roommates they they use rook. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, While well, speaking English, they say. No, they're Canadian, but but they say okay. Let me say rook. You have to do blah blah. That's great. Nice.
0: B-Rook?
2: B-Rook. B-E-Rook. B-Rook. Yes, yeah. I got that. Thank you, All right, you, well, I'm just making sure. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tupe, chel.
2: Take care. Take care. Okay. Uh, then we have Melika Sohanaki. I'm pronouncing that right. Don't, nobody give Sohanaki. me. Nobody give me shit for that. <laughs> just, <laughs> Sohanaki. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you say the name and then you look I at look all of us. I look around like, well, yeah. <laughs> who's going to make
2: fun of me? Just say
1: it however you want. Melika okay.
2: Sohanaki. Okay. Yeah. On YouTube wrote, well <laughs>
1: done. <laughs> So <laughs> Sohanaki So No, No, actually, it's a common, common, common thing. You know, when it's a, when you see a, mm-hmm. first try to say it a, oh, not a. Oh, there that's go. a good
2: tip. Thank you, Shaya. Yeah. That's very helpful. Uh, next, we have Kim Mirpur. Wait, what
1: did what did the
0: person say? She
2: said, "Well done." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we spent more time discussing <laughs> <We> her name <laughs> than the comment. <laughs>
0: It's been two oh, minutes waiting more. for this person's letter. Damn.
2: Well done. Oh,
0: well done. Man. All right. It's That's all you guys. Well, thank last you. Last show.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, next we have uh, Kimya Mirpour. She wrote good job with the, uh, like, you know, that little, you get it, that emoji with the well done. It says A-OK. Nice. Right. right.
0: Thank you, Kimya.
2: Then we have Jolet, last name SN on Facebook wrote, keep up the great work. Every episode has been wonderful nice message. That's
0: nice. Thank you, Jaleh.
2: Yeah. And lo and behold, we have the letter of the week. Ooh. Wow. Oh, seems right. like we would never get here.
0: Still, I feel like we need
2: a theme song to this. <laughs> yeah,
0: we made it to the letter of <laughs> well, the week. like region. I announced it
2: and then it's like, womp. wah. <laughs> well, we have Mohammad Hajivandi writing to us from Prince George, B.C. He oh. emailed us. He wrote, as a Canadian-American-Iranian, I would... I could own many of your guests' journals. I may be a couple of shows behind, but like watching a series, I can't skip an episode. International actresses, mixed Iranian comics, iterations of the Shahnameh, censorship, and social scientists back to back, what a feat. A Smithers BC RCMP officer told me about Rook. I never cried as much as anything in my life than while listening to Hamid's grief. And for those people tuning in, that was the first episode with Hamid. Mm -hmm. Um, who lost his family on the tragic um, Ukrainian flight crash. Um, So he goes on and says, I was hooked with high expectations and you've been surpassing yourself every episode while getting humbler. You managed the show like a teacher with the crew, while <laughs> encompassing your Iranian roots by being the most gracious host. That was a really wow, deserving. Who is what, what, what is that? That, w- that was Mohammad Haji Vandi writing from Prince George. Mohammad Haji
0: wow. Vandi. Wow. I rarely ever say that. Well deserved. That, that was that was a, really That's a beautiful well letter, des- yeah. and also. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love from Prince George, British Columbia. Yeah. For those of you who are not listening in Canada or don't know, that's right in the middle of British Columbia. It's not where Vancouver is or mm. uh, it's kind of up. It's, uh, if you were looking at BC, it would be right right in the, in the mm-hmm. middle. Mm-hmm. A place that you should visit, Shia. Yeah. 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 Write that take, down. Uh, You're, so. Shia's brother's in, in uh, BC. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. I didn't
1: that.
0: Uh-huh. Taha, right? Yes, yes. Take a trip go. up to uh, You guys, thank you so much. You've, uh, you've done great work uh... uh... <laughs> <with> the letters <laughs> and, uh... i appreciate it as ever captain reza uh... Right. groovy shia uh... keon mm. <laughs> mercy uh, to all of our team uh... the incredible rook team Uh, Sarah and Susan and everybody's working so hard on this. Thank you to all of you who are listening and to uh, those of you who are supporting and telling other people about this. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Airfon this week for the great uh, shout out that he gave our our show after the interview aired on Instagram. Really appreciate that, Mr. Airfon. We are going to go out on the theme song. From that hit TV series Shahzad that we've been talking so much about on this episode. This is Kojayi by Mosen Chabashi uh, featuring Sina Salak from 2017. I'm Gian Mashi. Until next Monday, Mizun Bashin. <laughs>
5: غریبی حصر و یه دنیا سوالو تو سینم گذاشتی جهانی دروبا یه دنیا غروب یه درد عمیق و یه تیزی یه و یه قلب مریض و یه آه قلیز یه دنیا محال و تو سینم گذاشتی رفیقم کجایی دقیبا کجایی کجایی تو بی من تو بی من کجایی رفیقم کجایی دقیبا کجایی کجای؟ کجایی تو بی من for joy is. خجایی عزیزم بیا تا چشام تو چشمت بریزم نگو دل پریدی خدا نکرده ببین خواب چشمت با چشمم چی کرده همه جا رو گشتم کجای عزیزم بیا تا رگام تو خونت برید بیا رو تو رو, تو رو کن منازی رو رو کن یا زخم هامو یه جوری رو فهم عزیزم کجایی دقیقا کجایی کجایی تو بی من تو بی من کجایی عزیزم کجایی دقیقا کجایی کجایی تو بی من تو بی من کجایی